0: Hello there, my name is Joy Dixon, and welcome to Joyfully Black Podcast, where we have candid conversations with Black women on nourishing their mental well being while balancing career, family life, and community care. Today's guest has paved the seemingly unconventional path towards her current role as Executive Vice President and CMO of the Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena, Melissa Proctor. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> now, Melissa has a daughter and was raised in Miami, so shout out to 305 as a fellow Florida girl. And she, has a, she had a strong, loving presence with her mother, who is from Belize, and her father, who was born in Jamaica. Melissa did not have a linear career directory, trajectory. Excuse me, and overcame many obstacles before ascending to her current role. In her book, from ball girl to CMO, she speaks about her guiding principles that continue to help her navigate her personal and professional journey. So, from the basketball court to the boardroom, we're so happy to have Melissa joining us today. So, welcome to Joyfully Black, Melissa.
1: Thank you. That was awesome. I'm very (laughs) grateful to be here.
0: Oh, wonderful. We're so glad to have you today. So, um, Melissa, first, I just want to level set for our audience today. Um, What really inspired you to choose a career path which combines both your creativity and your strategic side? I know some folks may have read your book, but if they have not gotten their hands on it yet, would love for you to share a little bit about that.
1: You know, it's interesting because I, I feel like I didn't choose my career. My career chose me. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge believer in faith and I'm Christian. And I truly believe that all of this was written well before I got here because when people ask me, you know, like, did you always know what you wanted? I was like, I still don't know to this day what I want to be when I grow up. And I say it all the time and people think I'm joking, but I genuinely mean that, you know, so growing up, I loved art. And my mother really encouraged me in the arts, and I went to magnet schools for middle school and high school, focusing on visual arts. And I had a cousin who watched basketball. You know, as you mentioned, my parents were West Indian. I didn't grow up with any American sports. They don't watch football. They don't watch baseball, basketball, mm-hmm. like none of that. And so, having a cousin who started watching basketball and got me into it, just watching hot, Heat games on TV.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I was like, oh, that looks really cool. Plus, it was like the '90s, so this was heyday of, like, Last Dance and Jordan and, you know, all of that. And so I just remember being in awe of these, you know, characters, players. And at 15, you know, my mom said, hey, what do you... I I told her I wanted to get a job. And she said, well, you can only get a job in whatever you want to do for the rest of your life. So at 15, I said, I'm going to be the first female coach in the NBA. Never played basketball, had no context of what that even meant. Mm -hmm. But she challenged me to go get a job in the NBA. And so while that was the case then, and I did a whole lot of cold calling and email and writing letters and drawing and whatever to ultimately get into the heat as the first ball girl, you know, for the organization, Mm -hmm. I didn't understand creative or strategic. And so my career, as you mentioned, is very much a a jungle gym, not at all a ladder um, in a lot of different areas, but honestly, through trial and error, like I didn't know I wanted a creative job. I didn't know I wanted a strategic job. I didn't even know what strategy Mm -hmm. meant, but Uh, Coming out of uh, undergrad, I got an internship at um, a Turner in in marketing for TNT, which was interesting. I never took a marketing class in college, so I didn't even have the context of what that meant. Mm -hmm. And while in my internship, I met a woman who was in charge of brand strategy and I was like, that's really cool. And she explained that branding was like the foundation that the the whole network and everything was built upon. And she blew my mind because I remember we were talking about and I was like, what exactly does that mean? And she was like, imagine that TNT was going to have a store in the airport. It'd be the brand team's decision to be like, what is that experience? What would mm. we sell? What would it look like? What would it smell like? What would you do when you walked in the door? And I was like, yo, that blows my mind. Because a television network and a store don't go together, but creatively, exactly. that's an interesting challenge. And then you have to build a strategy of, well, how does it you know, sustain itself? What makes people want to go? And so those two things together... I didn't even realize was combining strategy and creativity, but I knew that I liked the thinking challenge of it. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of think that's where it started, but, you know, I've taken on roles that are all creative. I've taken on roles that were all strategy. So through those experiences, I now have landed on when I'm in a place where I can do both of those, that's what I love the most. But, you know, every day I kind of, it ebbs and flows
0: yeah I thank you so much for sharing that Melissa and as you were speaking and talking about your your art background, I can see so clearly how someone who grew up as an artist, I mean you are literally creating worlds out of thin air out of your imagination. <laughs> yeah And so with the brand strategy that 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 adds in the business aspect to creating this this customer experience um, and also really encouraging for folks who are, Um, folks in, in, in youth who are creative and just thinking like, okay, do I really want to draw and do animation, but there's other options out there.
1: A hundred percent. And it's interesting because I meet a lot of creatives that are like, how did you do that? Like, Uh it's not at all normal, not normal, but like regular for someone who was an artist to do, you know, kind of what I've done. And I'll say like, I honestly don't have a lot of time to create anymore. Mm. And I think my, not that I don't want to, but I think like my, I have evolved. And yes. so I'll say that I still can utilize my creative skills. And now I look at look at it as creative approaches to business challenges. And so I still get to use that side of my brain, but I use it in a different way as opposed to just visual. Um, and so to me, that's exciting, but it's just kind of a newly placed creative energy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you use the word that I think is so key. There's been an evolution. Right. Mm-hmm. And as a, you know, speaking to you and, and seeing how you have parlayed and kind of sometimes, as you said, you weren't really sure where an experience or a role was actually going to take you. Somehow it's led you to this moment. And so, you know, so it sounds like you have been very open to what to different challenges and opportunities that have been available to you. And in your book, you talk about some of your guiding principles. Um, And when I, when I saw that, I was like, that is so great for people who, are sort of like Renaissance souls where they're good <laughs> a lot of different things. I kind of consider myself. That's me. Yeah. <laughs>
2: that exactly me. That, yeah.
0: So when I when I heard those guiding principles, I was like, oh my God, this is this is great. Cause you have these core values that you always come back to, um, so that you know whether opportunity is right for, for you. So um could you tell us a little bit about some of those guiding
1: principles that you highlight um in, in your book from Ball Girl to CMO? Absolutely. For sure. You know, it's so interesting because uh, growing up, like my parents worked double, triple shifts. You know, my mom was a registered nurse. My dad was like, he sort of checks at a bank Mm -hmm. and they called it a computer programmer at the time, but like their worlds were so different. So we weren't having guiding principle conversations growing up in the hood in Miami. And so like it was through life experiences and having mentors who shared kind of their guiding principles and the things Mm -hmm. that were important to them. And so for me you know as you grow you learn new things and and you evolve mm-hmm. and so when i sat down to think of what mine would be and i really just kind of looked at it as what are a set of you know values or a filter that i would utilize so any opportunity or anything that comes my way how do i vet it against something to know if it's good for me based on what i need mm-hmm. in order to live life happily right. it wasn't about success it wasn't just about money or title and i and I remember talking to my, my boss about, you know, getting promoted to CMO of the Hawks. And I was like, kind of asked, like, why me? And he was like, because you don't want it. Mm. And I thought that was the most interesting thing. He's like, some people are driven by, you know, the perception of power or money or mm-hmm. title. And he was like, with you, you just want to do great work. Right. And at the end of the day, I mean, what I normally say is I just want to make dope shit. That's what yes. I say. <laughs> and so, you know, with that, I thought that was so interesting. So I could look at my guiding principles. And, you know, see how in building them in the past through those experiences, they've now kind of come to fruition in ways where I'm like, wow, I'm checking my boxes. So I have five, call them my my starting five. Mm -hmm. Um, And my first one is the ability to be both creative and strategic. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, I've had all creative jobs. I've had all strategy jobs. And I know that I'm at my best and feeling like I'm hitting on all cylinders when I get to use both sides of my brain.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, My second is I get bored super easily. So I'm always looking at how do I, you know, build new tools in my personal toolbox uh, just so that I can continue to, to learn and grow. Because in my mind, like, if you stop growing or developing, you're dead. Um, so if I can do a job in my sleep, that means I no longer need to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, making sure that I can be pushed and challenged. And so, you know, my job every day, I'm learning something new, right. especially during the pandemic. Like we are a live event business that went to everyone being apart and separate. Yes. <laughs> Uh so that's it's been an interesting challenge as you know my career has gone on because at times I'm like, oh, okay, this, you know, it's gonna be a you know, three to five years, I'll be there. I had no idea that the NBA would evolve and the world would evolve in the ways that it has as our organization has evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been helpful. My my third is really my mom was horrible with money when I was okay. growing up, like lights getting cut off and build consolidations and mm-hmm. whichever. And so I promised myself that I would want to be, you know, somewhat financially independent, but really being able to pay my bills on time or ahead. And now, and now that I have a daughter, I have a daughter who's seven, it's really investing in her future. Right. And so the ability to do that, which is kind of looking at opportunities a little differently, like that kind of came in more as my career advance. Cause at first it was like, pay my bills on time. <laughs> that was it. Mm-hmm. And now it's pay my bills on time and invest and really understand financial literacy and estate planning and like being on top of my game financially because I've always been in a support role for my family. I'm an only child. And when my parents got divorced, I was the caregiver for my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, and we talked a lot about that through my my last day of high school, my first day of college. Really, mm-hmm. she went out on disability, mm-hmm. and so my college scholarship money had to go home to help pay her bills. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I didn't want that for my daughter. So right. it's been a really you know important one for me. My fourth is some semblance of work life harmony. I know there's no such thing as balance. Sometimes you got to work a lot. Sometimes you got to live a lot. And I always say that life is more important than work, no matter where I am or what job I'm doing. Like, we're all here to live first, Mm -hmm. not just go to work. Um, But I want to be able to be in a place where if I have to leave to take my daughter to an event or something at four o'clock in the afternoon, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Or if I need to travel. And I think definitely, you know, throughout the pandemic and remote work, people are probably more open to that than they were in the past. that's always been a big deal for me. And knowing that when I'm here at work, I'll give 100% of myself. But when I'm not here, I need to be able to live 100% of myself too. Um, And then my final one is really, you know, the ability to just be authentic and bring my whole self to work every day. Mm -hmm. The way I'm talking to you is how I talk to my boss. It's how I talk to my team. It's how I talk Mm -hmm. to my kid. Like I'm not a code switcher, no disrespect Mm -hmm. to people who are, but like I got one face. And so the idea of authenticity and being able to be, True to who I am, I dress pretty informal, I'm mm-hmm. laid back till I'd wear Nikes and sweatpants every day if I could. That's joy for me. So, if I can be that and bring all of my West Indian and Caribbean heritage and all mm-hmm. of that to the table, I want to be able to encourage my teams and people that I work with to do the same thing. So, those are my starting five. So, any environment that I'm in where those five boxes are checked,
2: mm-hmm. there
1: may be some other things like culture is important, and right. obviously, there, there are other factors, but I know that I will be able to do my best work if all of those things are set.
0: Absolutely. And I appreciate you really laying those out for us um, today. And you 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 touched upon authenticity. And when you were saying, you know, you're you know, you're a person you're not code switching all the week. We know there are plenty of folks who walk around in our melanated skin that you know do that because that's how they best show yeah. up in the world. Maybe that's the way they protect themselves.
1: Yeah, how um, they were raised, how they yeah. see things. Like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, it's Asso- not me. I,
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and it and it makes me think that by you showing up in your authentic as your authentic authentic self, rather, um, you're also showing people around you. Like this is also what a cmo can look like this is what uh, an executive can look like i'm informal and i'm still the top of my
1: game so 100%
0: yeah so i am totally uh, appreciative of that because so many so many youth and other young women that may not have reached the height of your career where you're going where you are and still going need to see that sort of example
1: yeah. and I, there's an awesome like, quick story i'll give is when i got promoted to cmo i remember They had reserved parking um, at the arena, like kind of where the players park Mm -hmm. for executives. And so when I became an executive, I went uh, and got my executive badge and I went to park in the reserve spot and security walked over to my car and they're like, I'm sorry, ma'am, you can't park here. Mm. These spaces are reserved for executives. And, you know, it was a young brother. And I was like, "Mm, all right. But I showed him my badge. I was like, I am an executive. Mm -hmm. And I could see he kind of paused and was looking like. Okay. You know, and he backed up and he was like, all right, well, well, cool. And I loved it because exactly Mm -hmm. what you just said, I just changed the stereotype in his mind of what an executive for this team would look like, you know, and any time that I have the ability to do that, to inspire someone to really just be an example, to be like, yo, if I can do it, all y'all can do it. Like everybody can do it. And it's just a matter of really letting your work speak for itself and, and, you know, really be your authentic self.
0: Absolutely. And you know he probably went home and told told his friends like <laughs> Probably I met this lady, she's an executive, you know, with her locks and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that that's so awesome. And let me ask you this, going into the authenticity. Were you always this way? Or did it take some sort of experience that made you say, I'm gonna own this, this is who I am, and this is
1: how I'm going to choose to show up? Um That's a good question and kind of two part. I definitely have always been myself.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I didn't know what myself was, you know, middle school, adolescence, everyone's trying to kind of figure out their role. I'm like, I want to be cool. I want to be pretty. I want to be popular. And I wasn't any of those things. And I I had glasses and braces and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to figure out life. But I remember my mom, my mother was 42 when she had me and I was her Mm -hmm. first and only child. And so Mm -hmm. she was super settled. Like she was like, I ain't trying to keep up with any Joneses. I do what I do. And so Mm -hmm. she would wear, uh, she was always a bigger woman, but she would wear like these pants and sneakers and oversized Mm t-shirt. And like, that was like her uniform, Right, like outside of her nursing uniform. Like she would wear that all the time. And so I would go and like, I could do and be whatever I wanted to be. And Mm -hmm. she encouraged that, which I appreciate. So I like street tap. So I would tap dance and I did art. So I was always kind of quirky and different in my own way, but she let me be myself. So I felt like while I was trying to figure out who I was, like I'd never felt like I couldn't be whatever I wanted to be at the time, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. And so when I got to be a little older, around high school, Mm -hmm. I went to a magnet school with a lot of other artists like me. So I kind of found my tribe. Yes. And then when I was there, I felt like I could kind of come out of my shell. And I don't know how much of a shell I was in. I was always super shy but then i ended up like student government president or you know okay. just like doing more things in leadership because mm-hmm. it was respected and i am grateful for the ability to you know pursue my talent and be around others in the same light because i do think it helped gain the confidence to be able to be that but when i started working in the corporate world i didn't i mean i was in college and i was cool in college mm-hmm. I started working at Turner and no one looked like me. You know, I was one Mm -hmm. of very few minorities in the department at the time. I was the youngest. I had a huge fro. you know, I was like same quirky artistic self I always was, but in the corporate landscape, it was like, okay, well, she's really smart and she does good work. And so Mm -hmm. I remember having to go to uh, having an interview, just an informal uh, informational, actually with the head of the network that interviewed Mm -hmm. all of the interns to see how their program was going he was like, how is it? And I was like, the people are great. I'm learning a lot. I just don't feel like I fit in. And where I got the confidence to say that, I mean, he's very much like, hey, open door for real. Like, don't give me the, like, give me a real answer. And I said, you know, and I didn't probably say being a black woman, but the reality was a lot of people there didn't look like me.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: felt like I needed to assimilate to fit in because I wasn't getting the invitations to the lunches and the happy hours afterward. work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he really helped me and gave me some of the best advice of my life at that stage in my career, which was they hired me because of all that I brought to the table and the diversity. And they probably knew they had some diversity challenges, um, which has evolved a ton since that time. But Mm -hmm. he was like, you'll be doing us a disservice if you came and tried to be something else you're not and didn't bring all of why we hired you to the table. And when he explained it in that way, it just made so much sense. It's like, oh, just just, just do you. And I think that advice is what I still hold to this day.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that because it sounds like you had a great foundation, you know, at home with being accepted um, and knowing and not really having it pointed out. I'm sure when you look at other kids you're like, oh, I'm Kind of quirky. And then, of course, finding your tribe and then having it solidified in that corporate environment that who you are is what needs to be brought to the table because
1: that is your superpower. A hundred percent. And it's interesting because when I was younger, I mentioned my mom and what she was and my father was the total opposite. Ah. My father is an older Jamaican man who believed that I needed to wear stockings and a girdle mm, to ever okay. be successful. Yes. And he hates locks. Still can't, he'll look at my hair like, oh God, look at your hair. <laughs> and I remember him telling me, he's like, if you don't dress better, you're never going to get a job. Mm. Or And when I started working, he's like, well, if you don't start wearing dresses and things, you're never going to get a promotion. And so now he sees me, he's totally proud of me. And I'm like, bro, you were so wrong. But in right. his day, I mean, he's in his 80s now. It was a very different world.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: But I had to always figure out how to navigate that because, you know, I was a pretty good kid. I don't want to disappoint my dad. But of at the same time, I was like, but I still have to do me. And every, you know, as I got older, I probably got more confident in that. But being younger, it was, you know, I had cousins that were doing modeling at Barbazon and all these like etiquette things. And I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want to, I'm going to tap dance. and am do this art. And she was like, you do what you need to do. You don't need to be your cousin or anybody else. you be the best you, you can be. So that combination really helped me because I understood both sides.
0: That is, that is beautiful because comparison really is the thief of joy.
1: hundred percent.
0: And you were really able to continue tapping into things that made you joyful, even as a, as a young, as a child and as a young woman um, to be where you are today. Um, and I do want to touch on a moment. You mentioned starting to be a caretaker for your mother at, um, at a young age. And so can you kind of share how, how you were able to navigate that? Um, because as a person who's been a a caregiver for, for a loved one, it can be, it can be challenging, especially as a young person. How was that experience and how did you kind of help keep yourself buoyed? while juggling so many things and, and still having to be a rock for your for your
1: mom who you clearly love dearly. Absolutely. Um, you know, I my parents were both awesome, mm-hmm. but because they were older when they had me, I didn't really have grandparents growing up. Like I knew, I met one of my grandmother, my father's mother, she lived in Jamaica mm-hmm. when I was 5 and then she passed away after that. So other than that, like I didn't see my parents as caregivers for their parents. Sure. They were, but it was well before I was born. My mother was well before I was born. So I don't think I had an example. Like I didn't know what to do, but I was very much raised as honor thy mother and thy father. And that was what it was going to be about, period. Mm-hmm. And so they took care of me. I'm going to take care of y'all. Of course. And when my mom, as she um, as her health kind of started declining, she was a nurse. She fell at the job one day. Like I said, mm-hmm. she was you know, pretty overweight and that like she broke her ankle and never healed properly. And so she always had to wear a brace. And so I always, there were like little things that was kind of like, it was a very slow progression, but looking back, I'm like, man, that train was headed in that direction. And now I know the outcome, but then I'm like, Oh, you don't want to walk today. It's okay. Yeah. You don't have to exercise, go eat whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't raised seeing her exercise or go to the gym. So there were so many things that I'm now trying to break the generational curses of through my daughter. Yes. Um, but when I saw it, I didn't know what I didn't know. That makes any sense. So oh, I didn't, I, I didn't know Medicare. I didn't know Medicaid. I didn't know, you know, I just knew that she had to pay these bills or the stuff was getting cut off. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand financial literacy. She stopped working, but kept living like she was working.
2: Mm. So
1: very quickly, whatever money she may have had went away. And so I feel like all of it was on the job training, (laughs) real time. Mm -hmm. So how did I buoy myself? I believe that God places angels around when you need them most. There were people in my life, I was dating someone um, in my 20s. When I started working, I finished grad school. I came back uh, to Atlanta and my mother had a stroke one day. She was living on her own in a 55 plus community. And literally the person I was dating was the godsend of the century, like drove with me to Florida. I was out of work for a month. And change because she had to go through rehab and had to move her out of a place where she lived by herself, like literally overnight, find a new place for her to live. I could have never done that without having my family and other people in my corner. And so as her health declined, she went from assisted living and she was great there, had a motorized wheelchair and was doing it up. One day she fell and broke her knee. Mm. Had to go back into rehab, but you only have 100 days before you time out of rehab. Mm-hmm. And she timed out. Then they put her in a nursing home. I was living in Atlanta. There were so many things. But yes. I truly believe my daughter is my mother reincarnate. Uh, 100%. Yeah. Her middle name is Olivia. My mom's name was Olivia. Oh, my and God. So she embodied. People just want to do stuff for her. My mom was a nurse. So they say nurses are the worst patients. Yeah. And she absolutely was. But she would make friends or people would befriend her Mm -hmm. who I have sisters that were nurses or assistants um when she was in a hospital or a rehab and they're like oh I loved your mother so much Ah. she did so many things to me and I'm like these are these angels that God places I was an only child but Mm -hmm. she just through her spirit and being who she was was able to and I don't think it was strategic at all it was like she just built these relationships right Or they were placed around her that gave the support that we both needed in order for things to happen.
0: Absolutely.
1: Me going or her being in a hospital and someone saying, hey, have you heard of this program? Check this out. I'm gonna connect you with this person who can help open this door. It happened so often. Mm -hmm. And the irony is I remember when my mother started to, her health started to decline, she was a giver. Mm. She gave to everyone, would do things for people. And I didn't realize it, but she really did it with the expectation that they would do for her. Okay. I grew up seeing that. Yes. And you know, every now and then my dad would say something slick, like, oh, your mom's trying to buy her friends. And I'm like, what do you mean? But he was right, Mm -hmm. like at a at a soul level. And so when she got sick, she's like, all the people I did all these things for, none of them are here. And I don't know if it was resentful, but probably like, man, I did all this for y'all. Like, where are you at? Yeah. And it was so helpful for me because now I see it. I'm like, God, put other people in those places to do Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. When she was looking in one way. I'm like, do you not see all these other people? Mm -hmm. There's more people that we We have help from. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, now that I've been able to kind of live it and experience it, and now I have my own daughter, actually, even this picture of my background, Uh my mother, um, when she passed away, she always told me when I was a kid, cremate me and scatter my ashes. I'm like, that's morbid. Mm -hmm. And then when she got older, she's like, I want to stay with you always. So keep me in your house. I was like, heck no, that is not (laughs) my, I am not that person. Right. And so when she passed away, I I write about it in my book. Like I went to Florida and I scattered her ashes. And literally this is the picture I took after I scattered her ashes in Florida, in Miami, at this beach. And uh, on their rocks that you see on the side, someone had spray painted. We love you, mom. Because I had never done it before. I didn't know what to do to the point of being a caregiver. I didn't know what to do after death either. Mm-hmm. But it's these little signs from God. And I yes. saw that rock and I was like, that's where you got to go. This is so the place. I opened up and that's where I scattered. And it was like so poignant. And so I always keep this picture. Mm-hmm. And it's my screensaver actually on my computer. It's just like a reminder of like, she's always with me yeah. wherever she is. But we went through a lot together. Mm-hmm. And I think it definitely just helped prepare me for the life that I live now.
0: Oh, wow. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, such so many lessons with her, you know, nurturing, uh, nurturing people and, and also the power of relationships. Oh, man. I mean, the power of, of relationships. And that actually brings me to my next question is, you know, you really strike me as a person who is a connector and a go-getter. And I, I love the story about how you were just really persistent and, you know, basically becoming a ball girl when you were just 15 and kept writing, 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 which kids today, they don't know. No,
1: no, to, they want somebody to just give it to them. To have to
0: keep writing or calling and using the yellow pages. I don't even
1: <laughs> What's that? No yellow right, pages.
0: exactly. And so a person who values being an asset, you know, wherever you are, what impact has that had
1: on how you continue to show up in the world? Um, you know, I, it's funny because I, I have so many of my friends or people that I've known for so long. And even though it seems like I'm a connector, I'm like an extroverted introvert because I I love being home. Like, what am I doing? I'm going to Aquatot swim school and I'm going to be here watching Space Jam 2 tonight with my daughter. Like that's Ah. joy with some popcorn. Like that's happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I also enjoy going out and having new experiences. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I want to always try to help people because I had so much help throughout Mm -hmm. my career. Mm-hmm. And when I started, you know, working and even growing in my career, I would respond to every LinkedIn message, oh, wow. every email. I'm like, well, people help me. I'm going to respond. Yes. And then like in this role, I'm like, it's impossible. Yes. If I had coffee with everyone who writes, reaches out saying, I want to learn about your career, let's talk. I'm like, I wouldn't have enough hours in a day. Right. And so, like writing my book was also a reason that I can like, Hey, I can't tell you everything. And I can't meet with everyone, but at least you can get some of the lessons. Absolutely. But now like, I really, I realized just being in the role sometimes is all that I need to do, mm-hmm. you know, like just to be still, because I can make an impact without even opening my mouth sometimes. And so What I try to do when I have like a mentee, I teach them. I'm like, you want to be an asset to somebody, not a liability, Mm -hmm. especially on time. You know, if you have the chance to connect with somebody, like how do you pour into them during that moment, as opposed to what nine out of 10 people do, which was like, I want a job. I want to meet you. I want you to tell me about what you do Mm -hmm. so that I can potentially do what you do one day and never once ask me who I like, what do I need? like, What are my challenges? What's keeping Mm -hmm. me up at night? And think of a way that they could pour into me, because I've found that the more that you're able to do that, the more you can build really mutually beneficial relationships that are sustaining. The number you can't have coffee enough with somebody for them to care about you. Yeah. But if you do something that shows that you care about them, then yes. it sticks.
0: That is so true. That is very true. And just and also that that really speaks to the reciprocity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Servant leadership, very much of like you gotta, you know, be here to serve, not just yes. be served.
0: A- yes, exactly. Be here to serve. Um, so, uh, you mentioned during your guiding principles that you have your your toolbox, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what tools do you have in your in your self care practice, or what I like to call your your mental your your mental health uh, pocketbook? I'm a good Southern girl, so you know you got your pocketbook. <laughs> have their toolbox what's
1: in your toolbox um you know i i use the bible app every day Mm -hmm. um and they have this new feature in it that's kind of like stories Mm -hmm. on instagram but you can get oh man it's bomb like if you anybody downloads literally holy bible like the bible app okay um, bible is coming up at the top of it and it's so great because you know and depending on any everybody's different you know your faith i i respect it all But, you know, in my walk, I'm like, I don't go to church every every Sunday like I have at other times in my life, just depending. But Mm -hmm. the ability to get something to help ground me is important. So when I wake up in the morning and there's a streak on it, you can see like I was like, I'm on a streak of like 200 days straight. And then I went on vacation. I was like, Uh oh, I missed this morning. Right. Um, But you go in and it gives a lesson. It has a person that actually talks about the message, uh, a piece of scripture someone who talks about it. Um, and then they kind of have like a devotional or some, some other asset to give you more in-depth ideas. And then there's a prayer at the end and it's pretty simple. Maybe it takes five, six minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, but it helps me every day. And I think like, oh, wow. Okay. I got it. Sometimes I'll share them with other people. Um, that's a big one for me Mm -hmm. and health. Like I mentioned, my mother was incredible. Like did not say she didn't believe in health and wellness, but she was always, and I am too, you know, like trying to it's a constant struggle. Genetically, I know that I am set up to predispose to be a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so you got to do a lot of work to yes. work against that. So I have my Peloton and Peloton is like church too. Yes. If, you're riding, <laughs> yes. if you're on it and you're a part of that community, I'm like, man, they're preaching to me this morning on this bike. So mm-hmm. that's a big part of my arsenal because whether it's that and I just joined a gym recently that I, I enjoy going to just to kind of take it up a notch. But, you know, I just try to, always think that I can't be there for everyone else if I don't take care of me first. And really, I think a lot about my daughter and the ways in which I had to sacrifice my youth. And I didn't. And my mom was great because she would always say, I don't want you to resent me for not letting you go to grad school in London, even though right before I left, she fell and broke her arm and she was living by herself. And people were like, you can't leave your mom. And she was yeah. like, go. And she went to nursing school in England, would always talk about it. So I was like, It's my chance to almost have a little bit of what she had. And she saw that too. Exactly. So it's a balance, but I really am more often thinking about my why, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of it's my daughter. Like I want to be able to be my best for her, but I also really want to live the heck out of this life. Like that's, that's big for me.
0: Yes. Yeah. You want to play full out at work and also be able to have the energy and vitality to play off the clock too.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Oh, g- good. That that is that is fantastic. And there's a quote that I really love um, by Jean Bolin that says, "When you discover something that nourishes your soul and brings you joy, care enough about yourself to make room for it in your life. Mm-hmm. You make room for your for devotionals with the Bible app. You have joined the gym. You're doing the Peloton, which yes, that is definitely the <laughs> community. So." What nourishes your soul so much that you absolutely create space for it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Such a great question. Um, And I, it's often when I talk, people are like, what? So like I said, my family's West Indian. I love soca music and carnival Uh and Ray and Nephew, which is the strongest white room you can get in Uh Jamaica. Those things fill my soul. So everyone's like, what are you doing? If I go to a carnival, to me, that is like, nirvana like you can elevate to a higher level of life yes like i went to trinidad carnival when i turned 40 um and i everyone's like you're going again it's like my fourth time and i was like that is what i do i will travel this whole world and it's like a feeling that i can't describe but for me that's what fills me up so i can work hard and do these things but if i know that like hey there's a fete, you know or my favorite soca artist or calypso artist is coming to town like I look forward to that. Mm-hmm. And what I like most about it is it's a judgment-free zone. So when I'm there, I'm not Melissa Proctor, see of all the Atlanta Hawks or Marley's mom or right. whatever else. Like we're all equal. So whether you are the garbage man, the mm-hmm. executive, the teacher, the homeless person on the street, everyone mm-hmm. is dancing and loving life and each other through this music. And mm-hmm. to me, that celebration of life is so awesome.
2: uh
0: I, I I I love that, that soca and dance hall and making sure you make time for that. So are you, now I got to ask,
1: are you part of like a crew? When oh, you- I mean, I, I have my own crew, like my, my homies crew. and we travel together uh-huh. and I've traveled with other, you know, groups and been to Ibiza. They have a soca festival and I've never been to Spain. I enjoy traveling as well. So kind of being able to fuse those things together, like I'm more tired when I get back than I was when I went, <laughs> but it's a good kind of tired, you yes, know, like exactly. it's a, because it it, it fills me up and you know with that it's it's different and I think if people aren't a part of the culture they're like what so drinking rum and dancing down the street yes that is that is my joy yeah it's cool that's
0: your joy that's fueling your soul oh I love that I love that um yes on 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 so many levels
1: It's funny because I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, I had Uh a group of friends going to Carabana in Toronto and I had never been Uh uh, to Carabana. And so people are like, well, you can't go, right? Like your daughter would be two months old by then. And I was Uh like, why not? And it was so interesting to me because the thought was now that you have a child, you're going to stop, not stop living, but start living for your child. And I know that my mom, I mean, she was older, but I don't know if she stopped living for me, but she kind of lived the way she wanted to. Sure. And I was like, no, I love these things. And so I want to be able to tell my daughter about it. So when she gets older, she's like, and now she does. She's like, mommy, I can figure I'm going to go to carnival with you. Uh, We're going to dance. And I'm like, yes, we will, girl. But I'm leaving because I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so grateful for it. Like, I just took her to Dubai for her summer vacation this uh-huh. year. We have family living over there. And people are like, you took your daughter to Yes, of I did. Course. And yes. it's awesome. And she's now has a different cultural perspective than I had in college. Mm-hmm. I, I'm 41 and I went to Dubai for the first time and she's seven. And yes. so her life will be different inherently. But if I can do things to help enhance that, like mm-hmm. that's what it's all about.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you're, as you said, like you're in the process of, you know, breaking generational curses as, as, as it relates maybe to health, but also you're, sh- you're exposing her at an early age
2: yeah. as
0: to what sort of like the she. Can continue to have as she as she grows up
1: and works hard because I'm like, uh, no, you're not going to be in the Delta Sky Club. You're going to be <laughs> waiting and going to go. So I'm always like, don't let this fool you. Like she comes to Hawks game. She only sees sweets. And I'm like, Mm-mm. you got to work for this. This doesn't yeah. just come. So it's also trying to figure out how to be grounded, knowing that yes. her life is going to is very different from my experience. Mm
0: hmm hmm Yeah. I, yeah, I could definitely see how that will be a, a delicate balance, but I, I trust that you, you'll, you'll know how to find that harmony.
1: Just like my mom is on the job training with the kids. Uh-huh. Every day is a different experience. So we'll see how it lets out yeah. later on.
0: No, for sure. For sure. And as you're thinking about how, you know, your life is, your life, you know, at her age is completely different. If you could really turn back the time and talk to your 18 year old self about mentally nourishing yourself, what what would you tell her?
1: Man, I would tell her to chill out mm-hmm. one because I was so focused on like wanting to know what I was going to be when I grew up
2: mm-hmm. and
1: wanting to have the answers. And if I could tell her anything, I was like, just really be faithful. Like you can say it, but then you could really be like, you know what? I'm going to fall back. I'm going to let you no know, God do his thing and mm-hmm. just chill and it's hard to say chill and I'm very type A like I want to plan I want to yes. know and I'm still the same but in other elements of life I'm like whatever I, you can only control the things you can control mm-hmm. so with that like I would definitely say that and then in another respect I would say it's okay to take risks mm-hmm. I think I was very and not risk averse and I probably and I'd be willing to travel and do things but I'm like I don't know how this will pan out so it wasn't right. Necessarily, certainly it's free flowing and the older I got and the more experiences being able to just roll with things mm-hmm. for me does so much to help mental health. Because I feel like so often like worry and stress comes from trying to control the things that you can't. Yes. So mm-hmm. the more and I was reading this book on stoicism, hmm. um, which I wish my 18 year old self even knew the term or cared enough to know uh-huh. the term. But it was truly when things happen, like know that it's just what it is. Mm-hmm. we attribute so much story and meaning to things that probably don't have any. So as an example, you know, Hey, me and Joy are supposed to go to lunch. Oh, Joy canceled. Oh my God. She doesn't like me anymore. I must've said something. I must've done mm-hmm. something. And then I stress out about the unknownness right. as opposed to just saying, we are no longer having lunch today. Yeah, That's all that it is. Exactly. Keep it moving. Cause right. normally it'll be like in two weeks, it'll be like, Hey girl, what's up? Let's go to lunch. And I'm like, I stressed. All of this effort and energy and mind space mm-hmm. for something that wasn't even real, and I, I, and I mean everyone does it. It's human. Yes. But I'm like, I realize how often and how great, especially women. I mean, I think everyone does it, but women will make a whole story up for one thing and be like, <laughs> "I know exactly what happened. This happened and that happened." Actually, none of that happened, ma'am. None of it. It's okay.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think we're great playwrights.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: Oh, that that's wonderful. So really, being so it sounds like really being present. And and I'll and I'll love to put in the show notes a link to the Stoicism because I have heard of that book. I haven't read it just yet, but we'll have to add that as as a resource that people can can take a look at. Um, and I like how you also mentioned you more so believe in work life harmony. What do you? What has been the the best sage advice that you've received about work life harmony?
1: Hmm. Best advice I've received about work-life harmony? uh, Well, a little bit different, more life harmony. But I remember I had a a boss who became a mentor. And at one point in my career, I was always growing. Like every year I had a new job. I got a promotion. I went to grad school for a year, came back, got another job. Like life was good. And I was used to that pace. Mm -hmm. And one day she was like, you know, Melissa, one day this pace is going to slow down. If you're going to be in a job for three years like what are you going to do then and I was like I won't because I'm going to get the promotion and do the thing and she was like you know sometimes you just have to live mm. and it's important like you know I was in an apartment she was like maybe you want to buy a house maybe you want to date someone maybe you want to be married and I thought about it and I was just like that's not uh, whatever but I was so focused on work right that I didn't even think about creating a life
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so so often I'll speak to you know people who either more senior than me or, or more junior mm-hmm. and the more senior advice was, you know, don't end up with the Oprah complex. I'm like, what is that? Where it's like, I'm going to create this mega life and maybe not, and I don't know if this is really Oprah or not, but like not make time to have children or even think mm-hmm. about the idea of it. Cause I'm so focused on building this, you know, professional legacy. Right. And I heard that and I received it. So, I mean, like I ended up getting married and I have my daughter mm-hmm. um, now, but you know, on the other side, I meet so many junior level women who want to be on the path. I'm like, I want to be like you. And how do I yeah. and I work till 10 8, 10 PM every night and I'm like, yo, don't do that. Don't do that. You're not gonna get any more points for that. Right. Like, go home. Yeah. Go live. Go make some mm-hmm. friends. Go have an experience. Cause honestly, I, I find that it makes you a better employee.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You have something to bring to the table. And you know, some people think that the harder and more time I put it in work, the farther I'm gonna go, but that's not always the case.
0: Yeah. No, and that's great that you're able to, to mentor and share that with, with women who are looking to to walk in, in the very big shoes that you have to, to fill. And, and as we're thinking about different seasons of life, because you had folks, sounds like, who were telling you to, okay, take a break. Let's stop and smell the roses. Yeah, yeah I, I really, I, I do think of life in, in seasons and phases. And so as as you reflect on this specific season of your life,
1: um, what brings you joy in this season? Oh, man, um, so many things. I honestly being able to take a trip to Dubai with my daughter was one of, and while working. So mm-hmm. mind do I also plan this trip in February or January to help a cousin that I had over there move? Mm-hmm. But I didn't consider we would be in the playoffs in the third round of the playoffs at that time. And so, you know, my boss and I talked and he also was a family first believer. So it's helpful to have that. And he was like, well, go. And I was like, okay. And I went and the games came on at 4.30 AM. So I was up watching games at 4.30. And then at 11.30 PM, we had, you know, team meetings, which normally if I was going on vacation, I'd be like, oh, I can miss it. But there were too many things and we had never been in this position. So I couldn't, Right. So I was up all night, up early in the morning. So I try to take a nap during the day and took my daughter to the desert and took her to the mm-hmm. beach and got to have these amazing experiences. Yes. But the ability to do both of those things and still thrive. And when I came back, I had people saying, did you go on that trip? And I was like, oh, I was there. Oh yeah." And I was able to live and work. And it was a yeah. lot personally, but mm-hmm. the gratitude that I had to even be able to do something that audacious was like, mm-hmm. that's cool. Like that really... You know, that that filled me up. And then I remember uh, when I was more junior in my career, always saying that, man, I just feel like I'm helping make the man more money. Like, mm. I want to give back. I was very, very altruistic. Like, I just feel like I'm not helping the world at this job. I need to do more. Right. And i had always had those feelings. So I ended up finding ways that I could do that outside of work, so whether it was volunteering with, you know, an organization, doing work mm. in the community, whatever it was and so I'm grateful that now at this stage in my career like I can have impact in my current role even being able to honor the legacy of Dr. King through our city edition uniform that we had for the Hawks last season. Yes. And knowing people who are like my daughters ask me what, who is this MLK team? What does MLK mean? And they're having conversations about Dr. King and mm-hmm. the Pope reaching out to bless, you know, our jersey before the season began and people mm-hmm. who've said like oh my god, yo that was the coolest thing ever. You don't understand like The conversations we had because of it, and then knowing that the profit from all of those uniforms went to women entrepreneurs in the city of Atlanta to really help build economic empowerment, you know, for women and people of color, like that's huge. And so I am able to have an impact just based on the decisions that I make, the team that I work with, the stuff that we're creating through this organization, and that's huge to me. And I I, I remember feeling like, man, this sucks. Like I'm not doing what I need to do, and now that same work has been able to also be amplified in other ways that I could have never imagined.
0: Oh, wow. That is, that, that just really speaks, that really speaks to you showing up as you're once again, coming back to that yeah. authenticity
1: Absolutely, and remaining
0: true to those, those guiding principles and the right opportunities and people coming along in order to bring those ideas into fruition. So um, that is, that is a great uh that is a great way to end today's podcast. So, um, thank you so much, Melissa. And how can people connect with
1: you, uh, online? For sure. Well, one, thank you again for having me. This has been awesome. Um, best way to connect with me is Instagram at Melissa M. Proctor. Um, I use that, you know, pretty regularly or LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, for the, for the professional stuff. And as you mentioned, my book from ball girl to CMO it's on Amazon or you can find it on my website, uh, melissamproctor.com.
0: Excellent. Well, once again, thank you so much for spending time with us on the Joyfully Black podcast, and we will be keeping up with you. And folks, make sure you go out and get her book. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. It was such a treat speaking with Melissa Proctor and can't wait to dig into her book From Ball Girl to CMO. I'll link to it in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Joyfully Black Podcast with me, your host, Joy Dixon. And I'm excited to bring you more interviews and insight from guests who share their journey as Black women striving to stay joyfully Black just like you. So go ahead, subscribe to Joyfully Black and share with a friend. To let us know what you think about this episode, you can follow me on Instagram at Joyfully Black. We read all messages and we might include yours in an upcoming episode. Thanks again. And until next time, let's stay in the black, y'all.